Hello there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Thanks Morris podcast. I am Marie, the SLP. I'm changing up the intro on you. I know, but we're here for the change, right? Today, I'm talking with my friend Allie from Alice and the Human. We're actually continuing our conversation that we did in an Instagram live a couple nights before recording this podcast. We have a lot of good stuff coming your way, by the way. This is not the last you'll be hearing from Allie and I together. Allie is here to share all about her discovery as an autistic person. She's also an SLP, and so she has so many great things to teach us. I am so excited to continue learning from her, and she provides such a great voice in the actually autistic community. I'm just, I'm so grateful for her and I don't even wanna keep talking because I want you to start listening to this amazing, amazing conversation. And that means on the other end, we need to have people that are listening. And um, and that's, and you know. And people that know to ask that question because yeah. thing, like people don't know to ask that. And like, I was talking to one of the autism specialists at my new job the other day who, I worked with like really briefly to like when I was at, I did my CF at my current job. So I like for a school year and a half, I've been at other things, but now I'm like back with the same district. Okay. Um, so I, I worked with that person like really briefly, like for maybe a week, like actually doing meetings together um, a couple of years ago, but she's now an autism specialist, but she has this new certification and she's one of the people I'm doing, um, autism about with right now and she was just like we had such a good conversation like she was just like oh like is there anything I can do for you and like anything I need to know moving forward and it was just like it wasn't demeaning it wasn't belittling it was just like oh cool like what like what and I yeah. was just like yeah like I like identity first language feel free to tell whoever you want like I just really like clear direct communication like tell me exactly what you need for me I will be just as direct like if you ever have personal questions like I made it very clear to my coworkers so far that like most personal questions aren't off limits because they need to know the stuff for the people that they're working with and I'm happy to share that's awesome and that's great that you have a place of work like to to have that like physical like or well maybe not right now physical but right. to be surrounded with more of like a tangible um yeah network yeah, yeah. I think so that that's a little sorry no, go for it. Go for it. Um, it's a little, it's funny. It obviously varies uh, conversation to conversation so far with like coworkers. And there's some funny dynamics of like, have I met you before? Or do you just know my name from paperwork and that I used to be here? Or like, and that is kind of funny. But um, I was talking to a coworker who is also a parent of two autistic children. And um I don't know. It, it's still, it's a weird thing because it's within like autism community and speech community, there's this whole other thing of like the parent community and what they think and the, how they like, and it's like, I, I do a lot of work to make sure the things that I say don't offend people in the sense that I'm not saying inaccurate or things that are offensive by nature or things that I'm unaware of that could be offensive. Like, but a couple of my conversations gave me this impression that some of my, some people like professionally might feel like I have the responsibility to monitor what I'm saying and advocating for to highly like look out for the parents of autistic people. And I'm like, what? 
like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them things. I will teach them things. Sure. And it's like, it's a hard line because I think in the autism community, um, there's this little like stigma of like autism moms and stigma might not be the right word, but it's just like, it's a phenomena of course of like, you know, caregivers who are ready to like do whatever they have to do for their children. And like, obviously that's something to respect. Um, and, but with that often comes a lot of like, sometimes defensiveness can be seen and like, oh, how dare you say that? And, you know, those types of internet things sure. that mostly I've seen on Facebook, not really on Instagram because Instagram is, I think, more like, I don't know, less tolerable of that. But oh yeah, it's, and like, I don't know, it's just an interesting thing to navigate because obviously everything that I'm sharing, like I want to be mindful of what my own parents are hearing and, um, you know, I don't ever want to paint them in a light that's not accurate. Like they're great freaking parents. Like, you know, my parents were 25 when they had us and, you know, my mom is my height and she carried three little babies for, I mean, we were born a couple months early, but like she was on bed rest her whole pregnancy. And like when we were born, they were, they're both December babies and we were born in January. So they would have just turned 25. Oh my gosh. uh, I like, and we're all functioning adult, great humans. Like, wow, holy shit. How did you do that? So it's yeah. like, there, and I talked to my parents, like, and before I was really talking as publicly about a lot of stuff as I am now, like, I had a lot of really hard and emotional conversations with my parents um, about this stuff. And I think that, you know, if I can model some things about those hard conversations for people like whether that's fellow autistic people who don't know how to have those discussions with family members or friends who've known them forever and you know had a part in some of our traumatic experiences as children like we need to learn to address like hey like growing up unidentified autistic among all these other variables that a lot of us face like is really traumatizing and it is something that like can be addressed and can be remedied and we can like grow from but that sometimes means that like the people in our lives might feel quote unquote attacked but it's like it's not an attack it's a holy crap I just found out that I'm not insane and oh my god do you want to hear what makes sense about all of everything that's ever happened like yeah it's so it's a hard thing to navigate and being like a professional and being a woman and like having all these like things ingrained in us for so long of like don't be like be play and all this garbage of like, don't say what you think and what you feel and what you need. Like that takes a lot of um, unlearning. Yeah, for sure. But how liberating for somebody to be able to get to their, that point, even with their parents, like for you maybe, and I don't know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but no, you know, to be able, yeah, to tell your mom and dad, like, this is, this is why, like now I know. And Yeah, these are the reasons why, and this all makes sense. And it's like, I have to imagine that it's validating for them too. Like, I know I was probably, I mean, I know I was a handful as a child in certain aspects. And I mean, we were freaking triplets. Like, obviously, that's not easy. So I think that it's just a human thing to do for our parents, you know, as a whole, like for parents to talk to their adult children, you know, in a safe healthy way but like hey like let's let's talk about these things like it I don't know it's 
it's communication. Yeah. Communication builds relationships. It maintains relationships. And I think that everyone just gets so scared of communicating. Yeah, no. And I think, and we talked a little bit about this in our life too. Like there's certain programs and things that are out there for um, parents and SLPs. And one of the one, cause I'm trained in Hannon yeah. and love Hannon. Yeah. And I, I did that training. I actually did it in grad school, like, like not real. Cause you can't say it was real. Cause it oh, was- yeah, I did a lot of fake training in Hannon in grad school as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I, I did do the, the actual one as an SLP, you know, a couple years after I graduated. <laughs> yeah. It, and it was, but it's so good. It's, it's unfortunate. I will say for me that I work in a school district where it's hard to get that rolling with like parent groups. But I think the whole, the idea of even just, even for me to just have the training to be able to communicate with parents and basically what you're saying, like, mm-hmm. and we talked about this on the live in, in making this not a negative thing, like no. in it's like, it's a positive realization, you know, it's, it's validation. That's like, it's validation. It's purpose. It's community. Like it's acceptance. It's not feeling, you know, all these extreme things about something that nobody seems to understand. And exactly. Um, I think that parent groups are like in early intervention in the form of like parent teaching are one of the best tools we have, but also in like the counseling role that SLPs have. And I think for the neglected aspect of like speech paths as a whole in working with communities around the like, community support around autism, like hands on, not just saying like, here are the resources I have for you. Like, this, like, hands-on like physically following through with things I think that is something that needs a lot and um I yesterday I wrote this out I which was why um I messaged another speechy that I found through our um chat so far the I think I forget what her account is like Pacific Northwest speechy or something oh yeah Elaine (laughs) um and I want to hear what she has to say about, cause I know she has like a private practice that she uses and, um, or works part of the time. And I think that I don't really know, I need to do some research. Like, I don't know licensure wise what I'm able to do and what I'm not. But one thing I really, really, really want to get off the ground is I would love to host a kind of like a virtual zoom, but, um, support group, discussion group for parents and people who um, support autistic people in their lives one way or another, just want to learn about it and have it be like each week I'll, you know, we'll pick a topic and I'll share a snippet of how I navigated that in my childhood and how I talked about it with my parents and then can kind of help facilitate some of those discussions. Um, I don't think that my new supervisor is really ready for me to come in with like, I have all the, like, so, and also I think that it's a fine line of, I don't want to tie too much of my own personal life and personal experience to a school district, right? Like I want to sure. keep that separate for a lot of reasons. And I also don't ever want to lose autonomy of like what my message is and like what I'm doing with my community in terms of like autism education, because at the end of the day, like I'm an expert in autism. Like I have autism. I've had an extensive education on autism. If anyone wants to tell me that they think I need a certification in autism before I can call myself an expert, then I have so many things I will tell them. Like (laughs) it's a reality. And I think that I'm finally coming into my own in the past week of like owning that and being like, no, I am an expert. Like 
listen to what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't need, you know, you to tell us that, oh, well, I have this training and this certification. It's like you have 25 years worth. Right. Of <laughs> You know, like I was my own speech path. Like I did made up my own, you know, accommodations and my own world in my own way. And I, you know, gravitated towards people who understood me and I did the things and I was super lucky enough to be an athlete my whole life and have like automatic friends and automatic community and have, you know, my siblings to be automatic peer models and to truly have nothing but peer models around me all the time. Like, And my mom was, my parents are incredible parents. Like my mom stayed home until we were eight and she worked with us and played with us. And everyone in my school district was scared of my mom, superintendent (laughs) included. Like she did what she needed to do. And like, I just feel like there's so much, there's so much that I understand that I want to share. And I feel like employers right now are scared of that. And yeah. And it's, it's a sad truth. Um, but I, I do totally, you know, working for a school district, I can see that I can understand that fear. As not a district employee, we can get sued personally. Yeah. Like that's terrifying. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I get why there's fear. I just don't think it needs to be there. And I think Allie, that you have such, you have this unique perspective. I mean, and, you know, we all have a unique perspective, but you have this, like, like you explained, you know, you had, you saw your mom as an example, fighting for you. And, um, you kind of came from being able to have those peer models with your siblings. So you understand the benefit of that. Like all of those little things that make you, you in your discovery with autism, it's like so beneficial for other families. And it makes sense to me in ways that, you know, it took so long for me to figure this out because, I mean, not to sound ridiculous, but I am a Capricorn. So as Kella would say, this makes sense for my behavior. But <laughs> I'm really freaking smart. And like, I've always known that. And like, it, it makes sense to me that even though I'm like really like book smart in the sense of like, I have, you know, strong like logistic and linguistic and inter and interpersonal intelligences like I there's so much in life that's hard and it's like it makes so much sense that I was able to use the like critical thinking like mindset that I have and take everything that my siblings did and my you know my teammates did at soccer and you know the close friends that I had in childhood that you know taught me so much about like what I could say and like what I couldn't and like when I went silent, like my, one of my siblings was probably next to me to take over the interaction and nobody noticed that I was just hiding. And like, nobody noticed that I left the room and had a mental breakdown and just had a full blown meltdown shutdown because there's two other kids in the other room doing something fun. And so it's like, it's shaped so much. And I, the more today, it's really one of the first times I've like thought this really through, but like the more I think about it, um, yeah, like it's it's just so interesting to see the way that I got by. Yeah, that it kind of gets masked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me think. I've seen a lot of this more on social media, but I've heard it now and then, like in articles. But lately, I've seen a lot about autism 
getting missed more in girls. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And maybe you could explain a little bit of that because I'm, I'm honestly still like, I will, and I, I tell you, I've told you on our live, I'm like, I will be the first to admit when I've realized, like, oh man, last year that was a big shortcoming. Like, I had a student who she had, um, you know, her special education eligibility was autism, and I was the one kind of going, oh no, I don't think so. I've totally been there too. I had kids like that in my CF where I was like, why do they have an autism diagnosis? And now looking back, yeah, luckily the rest of the team was like, no, shut up. This is real. And I was yeah. like, okay. Which yeah. like, yeah, we don't know what we don't know. Thank you. Yeah. And so I'm just, this year I've been like, oh my gosh, like light bulb on for this one. You know, I'm learning. So now I'm trying to, I've been going back and looking at like, and I think there's a lot more that needs to be shared still as far as, um, autism in girls versus boys and all of right. the criteria and all that stuff. But I think just, you know, taking away the, the norms and all of that, like there, there's just a lot that's been missed and that I think my eyes are being open to now as I learn about it. Yes. Oh yes. I have, I have a lot to say about this. Big surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so yeah, like my first, so I didn't, in grad school, um, we obviously had like our graduate clinic hours, like that is grad school. And um, I had mostly pediatric clients, like most of us do. That's like the huge, pop, one of the biggest populations we treat is peds. Mm-hmm. And um, I got through all the semesters in my grad program seeing mostly kids and then a good chunk of adults, but not having any autistic clients. And so I left that like, I don't know anything about autism, what's going on. And so I had a medical externship and acute care, which was the best thing on the entire planet. And I loved it so much. And I still talk to my supervisor and a bunch of them because they're all incredible. And I love acute care. Um, Anyways, but then my school externship in, um, it was in an elementary setting. And like, I, everyone in my cohort knows, like, from the start, I was so anti-schools. I was like, nah, I will never work in a school. That is not for me. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Acute care forever. I want to do all the swallowing, all the voice, all the stuttering, all the aphasia and AC and everything. I was like, I do not want to do language. I do not want to do schools. Nope, nope, nope. And, like, I, like, kind of mostly stand by that. Like, that kind of <laughs> But <laughs> I... So I went into that school externship. It was my last externship of grad school. And um, my supervisor is one of the best that both of those supervisors were amazing for my externships. But the school one, Joelle, she, um, especially because I went into it, like I didn't want to be there. And, you know, it's the last thing of grad school, the last externship. Mm -hmm. And it extended three weeks past graduation. And I was like, this is so frustrating. not to mention during that externship, I got out of a 10-year relationship, like, on a Sunday, and, like, that next Monday, I was like, I can't come in today, which she was great about, like, understanding and helping me and supporting me through that, but anyways, Joelle, that speech path, um, during the externship, I learned so much from her, and we had, obviously, a handful of autistic kids on the caseload, and, um, there was this girl who was about, I want to say second grade maybe. And um, I don't think she, she had just finally gotten an autism eligibility. Like they had just finally like gotten it to be that. And people were kind of like, what? Like, what do you mean? And so Joelle, that speech path, she 
gave me this article. I think it was in like, maybe it was in an ASHA mag or like some sort of speechy magazine about um, autism in girls and how it's frequently overmissed and how they're very, very intelligent socially and that they pick up on everything and they mimic it and they mirror it and they model it and they know because society grooms women to know when you're not doing what you're supposed to do and what, you know, this like overarching sense of like how you're supposed to be. And so she kind of introduced me to that and working with that um, student was really interesting. And looking back, I'm really curious, like, did she see things that I did it? And was I just like, oh, that's interesting. Thanks for telling me, like moving on with my life when she was probably like, but then again, I'm like, maybe she didn't. I don't, I don't know. But I think about that a lot. And um, I think about things I learned from her all the time. She's all of my supervisors that I've had, I think, through most of grad school and since other than that one at that recent job that I left, mm-hmm. have been like really great mentors. And it's, it's nice and it can be hard being autistic and having to lean on authorities like supervisors because I don't have a good, I don't want to be not me. Like I'm going to talk to you the way I'm going to talk to my friends and I'm not going to like, obviously there are professional boundaries that you don't cross. And it's not that I don't know to cross, not cross these things or know these stupid norms. It's just like, I'm not effective if I can't communicate the way I want to communicate. And like, exactly. It's, it's just, it's not communication. It's me like scripting random things you want me to say. Like it's, it's not effective and it's detrimental. So, um, I always just like really, really appreciate when I have supervisors who like get it. And it makes sense that most of my speech path supervisors were pretty good with me. Um, But yeah, and so girls with autism, it's a tough thing because I, like, yes, I want, like, it's important to talk about the differences in boys and girls in that, like, for people who identify strongly in, like, that gender binary and, like, who only see autism in the lens of past research being so male-focused, it's important to acknowledge, like, hey, women exist, girls exist, we have autism too. Um, But it's also important to remember that, like, you know, queerness and neurodiversity are really close hand in hand. Like, if you look at the autistic community, like, you know, gender and sexuality and all those things, like, there's so much social constructs there. And I think one really liberating thing about being autistic and being queer and, like, just having this community is that, like, you can, you can do what you want. Like, we have that freedom to question our sexuality and our preferences and our expression and our identity because, we're, we're not accepted by those mainstream constructs anyways. So it's like, we don't think that way. We don't fit that way. We're more inclined to explore an inclining that we have, you know? And so it's, it's important to say like, autism is not only for boys and girls. It's in all humans, you know, like whatever, whatever expression anybody chooses to have, like they could be autistic. We don't know. But, um, to speak to like the stereotypical, like female presentation, um, there's a lot of misdiagnoses with like bipolar and um, you know OCD and different things like that because like the strong emotional hormonal um, well for me it's hormonal because I have hormonal disorders as well but um, which again is really common with a lot of autistic people there's so many common comorbidities and for women a lot of that is anxiety and depression which is probably from trauma yeah. Um, and, but also uh, 
premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is something that I've been diagnosed with, and it goes hand in hand with the polycystic ovarian syndrome that I have. So I've had messed up hormones my entire life, and that affects a lot of the same things that autism tends to affect, like sleeping and eating and digestion. I have a lot of GI things, which is a very common autism comor comorbidity, um, my fibromyalgia, and I've been diagnosed with chronic, um, or I mean, cyclic vomiting syndrome at times. And like, I have a lot of chronic fatigue and chronic pain and PTSD. And those diagnoses are all, and there's a, some other common like syndromes and things, but those are all really common things for women in the autism community. And a lot of that comes from being um, undiscovered their whole life and different things like that. But a lot of it too just comes from the fact that like genetically and neurologically like this is how our body was developed and this is what's going on um but yeah it there's so much so much to it uh, yeah. but I I, kind of, what other girl specific questions did i not really talk about i don't know i mean i but i and i like how you put that too like you know there's there's this like divide for some reason, this social construct and this divide between like boys with autism and girls with autism when really like we need, we just need to look, and it goes back to, I think where we should be when we're evaluating somebody, we need to look at the individual, but I think knowing, I think I didn't even think of the hormonal stuff, like, you know, and it, it does make sense. I mean, with, you know, how a person's physically developed and what, you know, whatever the genetic makeup is, like there could be all these comorbidities and writing off autism because, oh, well, socially she's, she's doing what she's supposed to do is not okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense with, you know, and, and it takes me back to my student that I was the one questioning, you know, well, really autism? And I think about how bright she was and how she could mirror her peers and it just makes so much sense but then there were so many other sensory um challenges she would have when coming into a classroom because that environment was not built for her like you know so it yeah, it, yeah. no it's and it's like I remember in um elementary school I remember very vividly um I can like see it in yeah. my head right now but sitting at this one specific room in this at the table, taking a bunch of standardized tests with this one special ed teacher. And now I really wish I knew what tests they were and I could get the hands on those protocols because I want to see right. it. But, right. um, you know, I was one of those students that was identified as like gifted and talented. And I was kind of put on that track. And when I got into junior high, I was still in all these AP courses and I was like drowning. And I socially was like feeling so isolated because a lot of my soccer friends and my siblings and like all of my friends that I grew up with were all in like what I kept calling the regular classes. I was like, I don't want to work this hard every day. Like this is so hard. Like I'm working every night on homework and I'm crying every day to finish this schoolwork and yes, I can do it, but like at what cost? And I just want to be with my friends and not have okay. to like use every ounce of energy that I have in every class every time. And it took like a lot of self-advocacy for me um, to get my parents and my school to finally just be like, okay, fine. And I was just like, why <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't be this hard. No. And it's, it's important to remember that like for most of us who have these like undiscovered neurodiversity or neurodivergent traits and characteristics like 
most of our life was just so hard and we just thought that that was normal and we thought everyone felt that way and we thought we were going to feel that way forever and so it's you know there's just so much unspoken stuff that goes on in our brains that we kind of train ourselves to think like this is reality and everyone feels this way because that's what we want to think we want to fit in right like that's right. human nature and um I think that society as a whole really discredits the impact that that has on a person yeah no so well said oh my goodness <laughs> I I think that um you know, I think, cause I, I remember being in those gifted and talented classes too. And just, just thinking about your experience versus maybe my experience and thinking about how much harder you, you might've been working as a result of everything else going on for you. Um, it just opens my eyes to, because when I reflect on my past, it helps me think about, okay, well, like going forward, what can we do for, you know, kids in elementary school now? Like, that and make sure that we're not putting all of those demands when we look at individually what that child needs. Um, so, yeah, and I think yeah. that there's a distance um, professionally to relate our own childhood experiences to what we're doing, which I think is just such a weird divide to make at times. Like, obviously, we all have to be mindful of certain things, but even if it's just among coworkers and like a safer trusted space, like I think that there's so much value in educational professionals using their own experiences and their own perspective to think back, like how were they treated? And cause odds are most of us that are in these types of professions, we're good at school and we're good with educators that helped us and inspired us and wanted us to be a part of this world. And so it's like, we have all this firsthand knowledge of things that went well and maybe things that didn't that made us want to do it better. And it's like, denying our coworkers and ourselves and our students this like information is like literally denying growth. And it's yeah like, it's this personal professional, like social construct that I think needs to be, we need to be more mindful about like when we need that and when it doesn't really matter. I agree. I think that because it, even like building those connections, you know, I've seen it work to a student's benefit when I can build a connection with a family or a parent and take extra time and maybe explain, you know, how, you know, I don't have kids of my own. I see a lot of like my, my colleagues that, you know, will sit in IEP meetings and they have kids so they can say, oh, my son does that, you know, or da da da. Like that's normal. But for us to say, oh, I did that, like that suddenly crossing a line. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you feel like I've totally done it. Ali. I have, I have said, oh, yeah. well, when I was little, you know, um, and I get that you just get, you feel the energy. You're like, Oh, I'm not supposed to talk about me. Got it. <laughs> and for me personally, it's really hard too because like I'm obviously so passionate about all of this and like all this encompasses my personal life and my professional yes. life. Like there isn't really separation for me. And like honestly, those are the environments I thrive in because I don't have to mask when everything's out on the table. Like that's when I do well, when I don't yeah. have to explain myself because like I shouldn't have to. But um, I think that it... I don't know. I lost my train of thought, but yeah. Oh, this is where I was going with it. I had, so one of the, again, another coworker I was talking to recently made a comment, which I don't, I don't want to take the comment out of context. I don't think it was necessarily meant this way, but it like led me to a train of thought about like something to explain to people as I'm considering like, you know, disclosing that I'm autistic and how to talk to people when they tell you that. Um, but 
this person I was talking to made a comment about how any family that I'm doing an evaluation for with autism, me letting them know that I'm autistic isn't okay because it could give them false hope. And I have so many problems with that. So I'm just as autistic as that child having a meltdown. I had a meltdown all last night and hid in my bathtub in the dark in two layers of comfy clothes and hid from Kella so she didn't have to see me shutting down until she finally, I came out and then she did all the things she normally does to make me feel better and we moved on. But it's like, like I, just because I have a full-time job that I just started, not to mention that I've had multiple issues with past employers because of my autistic traits. Like, just because I'm doing well in this minute in a meeting with you doesn't mean that I'm not skimming under the table and you can't see, or that I'm not recovering from a meltdown, or that I didn't just get out of like this huge, almost year-long autistic burnout phase that I was like in and out of the hospital for a lot of things. Like, it's, it's just so diminishing. And so for her to say that like it gives false hope is just so undermining to like, my existence and the fact that I am autistic and that if we stopped doing stupid ABA and treated autistic children like a, like freaking humans, they could all develop to be what they wanted to freaking be. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, don't be sorry, please. <laughs> um, I think, you know, and I, I love that you're sharing this and you're being so real and raw and because, you know, these are things that I work with preschoolers. I don't hear you know, I in, so they're 20, you know, in 20 years, 21 mm -hmm. years, I will probably not talk to them and hear them say these things, you know? And so it's so important for me and other SLPs and professionals and parents to hear your perspective and have that in our minds of like, you know, maybe because maybe I'll be in a situation with, um, an autistic adult who is trying to explain their trauma. No. They're literally attacking her. Oh gosh. Poor kitty. They're not like attacking, attacking. They no, no, no. Friends, but, but they play. Yeah. She ran outside. So she's, <laughs> she's like, gotcha. Sorry, no, no, no. But I'm just thinking, you know, it's good for me and I'm sure others to hear you and have your voice kind of in our minds at the very least when we are talking with maybe an autistic adult or um, a parent, right? So we're not dismissed. I tell most of my patients and their families, especially I love working with like, so brain injuries and TBI and concussion is also one of my like favorite, um, you could say special interests within like my speech specialties. I've got yeah. a lot of like nice um, training. I had some really good experience with that in grad school and a lot of my jobs, I've been able to work with both peds and adults with, uh, and doing a lot of cognitive therapy and a lot of them with brain injuries of different like severity and stuff. But um, one of my 13 year old clients that I worked with at the children's hospital, um, we made a lot of good progress with them and their family. And uh, they were one of the patients that I was like, okay, so we made these visual aids for like a bedtime routine or whatever. And um, I was like, okay, so when you read it, I want you to read it in my voice. Like I'm yelling at you so that you do it. No, don't read it in your voice. Read it like I'm yelling at you. And like, you know, they, they're him and his family gave me the feedback. Like that's how they, like that cue and that reminder of like, no, I'm serious. I'm here. I'm not physically here, but I'm following you around your house and telling you to do things <laughs> like that is important. And I think that, um, you know, it's, 
it's funny and it's like I'm I'm here to yell at people and make people listen to me because I can't stop talking. <laughs> well, and don't stop. And you know what? The thing is, like, I always tell you know, when I, when I think about what I'm passionate about and I'm talking about, I always tell myself, okay, well, if they're not listening, I'm just going to keep talking until somebody listens. Like, yeah. fine. If they don't want to listen, just like Instagram, right? If they don't want to listen to me, they can unfollow me. They can close the right. door, whatever. And they can always come back. That's the thing. I'll still be here and you'll still be here, you know, talking about this stuff because it's important. And, um, and I, I just think it's so awesome that you are willing to be so open and honest. And I'm so grateful you're here to share this all. Cause I think we all need to hear it. And I'm just, now I'm just ranting because, um, I just think it's so valuable and yeah. you know, I, and I will have you in my head. And I think, and I do want to go back to that point of, you know, somebody diminishing your experience as an autistic person also as, you know, an SLP, because like I said earlier, you have this unique lens mm-hmm. and it's, it's so valuable and beneficial for people. And again, if they don't want to listen, then they don't have to. Like, like if, you know, and it's, it's hard at work to um, not be a little bit like personally hurt sometimes when sure. I say those things and people don't like immediately change everything and do everything that I say because like we all have, you know, egos, whatever, but <laughs> it's, I think that the biggest thing for me that I'm going to try to be or that I need to find a way to advocate for at work without coming on in any like unprofessional stepping on people's boundaries, offending people kind of way is really hitting home about the functioning labels because those things are problematic for so many reasons but I think among the things that I hear at work and from coworkers and from people who most of the time obviously don't mean it in like a like obviously like all their intention is well intentioned sure. most of the time but um you know from my perspective when I hear people say things with like functioning labels like high functioning or low functioning and even like discussions like severity of autism like these new stupid like level one two and three things like it's it's triggering and it's hurtful and it you know it feels like part of my existence gets erased every time because it's like then it says well I'm not allowed in that community because I'm this type of functioning or whatever but it's like no because <laughs> it's like boy hey stop, stop. <laughs> but um because it's like are you familiar with those like level things so like you know what I like I, I think, heard about him literally this week. So oh. okay, I I was like, well, I either I either heard him and dismissed him right away, um, or I, I. But yeah, but the the whole functioning basically a DSM five style language of like this medical model chart that splits a bunch of autism characteristics into severity chunks, and it's like level one, level two, level three, where okay. like level one would be what. Um, stereotypically might be called um high functioning and then like down to like low functioning or like severe which is honestly dumb because I can tell everybody who uses that criteria that I spend you know minutes to hours in and out of each of those phases on a daily basis like it Mm. depends it it, and if I'm 
not visibly showing my level three characteristics, I promise you that they're there and they're not showing because I've been trained to hide them. So it's, it's just, again, it's invalidating and diminishing and it like is harmful to people who are labeled more severe, like less severe, like, oh, so these people don't get resources and these people do and oh, these people are kind of okay, but these people, we just can't do that in society. We can't handle it. Like it's, it's just so hurtful and on so many levels. And I think, I don't know. I I think that's going to be a really big battle for me at work because I'm not going to let that go. Like, that's not okay. I don't want that projected on these littles that we're working with. Like these are preschool children and they don't know that that is bad. And I do. And like, this is my job. This is our job to advocate and educate. This is what needs to be done. Whether it makes existing, you know, people feel weird about their existing, existing practices or not. Like, that doesn't change our obligation. Yeah. No. I love that. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, I probably do know about the levels. I just, and, and I'm kind of one of those, and I, I told you this on our live, I was trained very Hannon-esque in grad school, my autism. And we talked about this on our live. We haven't said it on the podcast, but there was not a long enough course mm-hmm. on autism in grad school. I got very lucky. So the way my grad school program was, was, you know, there's a handful of different types of clinics that we'll do during our two years. And autism is one that we might be able to do, but we might not get it. Like I, I didn't get like a specialty clinic. Yeah. Like I got to do a, um, intensive stuttering clinic, but like not everybody did like, yeah, those types of things are so great, but it's like, but it's students who didn't get it. What exactly. And I was very fortunate because I, we got to rate like, okay, well, which like one through three, what are your top three that you definitely want? And autism was my number one. So I got it eventually. And then when I was on my diagnostic team, I, my client that I was assigned with actually was autistic. So I got to do an, you know, an evaluation and learned so much about autism evaluation. I feel like as a whole, it's just like not covered in grad school. No. There's so much to it. It's kind of the luck of the draw um, as far as it's, what clients come in. Itself is yeah. Own, you know, oh, two semester course, autism specific. Really? Like, Seriously? Not to mention everything outside of that. Yeah. Like it's, it's exactly. Um, but I, you know, I came from that very developmental training, very much like my professor, and I don't know where this quote is from, but she always said, if you meet one individual with autism, you meet one individual with autism. Like there is no you know, she, she had a, she had an issue with the DSM. She had, yeah, exactly. So I was trained to look at everything, everything through this, like very, um, I was basically trained to stay very open-minded and kind of forget the black and white writing that was, that was plastered everywhere in the the research. Not that research is bad. I mean, it's very, very useful and very good. Inherently research has to be kind of like binary black, white, like yeah. it, it has to inherently to exist. So it's like, yeah, there's benefit in that, but obviously there's more to life. Yeah. And so, and that's why, I mean, that's part of the reason why this podcast for me has been such a big help is getting to bring on people that have like an area of like, you're an expert, right. And bring on that expertise and, and, and say what, you know, what is going on with, um, and what you've learned in the field and, and the world. Yeah. And it's nice to, I think, check in, especially for like recent grads who are only a few years out, like us to like go from, like, I had a really supportive cohort where we all shared, you know, resources and study guides. And yeah. I have like this amazing video recording of my 
self that my friends and I worked on where I go through every muscle and innervation of a normal swallow and like, you know, shared that with people. Like Mm -hmm. we all collectively did so much to help each other. And it's like to leave and go into different workplaces. Like we're not always met with that. Like, you know, the hospital that I had a bad experience in was very like seniority, nepotism, competition based for, you know, learning and doing training and it's like I think as a whole social media has given like our current generation of speech paths so many more tools in like expanding our network of support and like sharing knowledge and you know new ideas no it's it's definitely been such a huge help with that and just so valuable and um yeah, I could go on for hours about how much I've appreciated having <laughs> you and everybody to learn from on on social media and and to make these connections because I think they're really like I said earlier, I don't I don't see them going away, at least not for me, right? I'm one person, yeah. but I my choice here and my goal is to keep these conversations going and see the change that comes with them. Um exactly. you know, not just talk about it all day long and you know, hypothetically problem solve, but like to have your voice again in my mind when I have somebody come to me um, and talk about their experiences for me to not say, oh, well, it's okay. You're higher functioning, right? Like, right. like oh, yeah. and I don't know. Yeah. It's- yeah. So no, it's, it's really good. I yeah. feel like I feel like we've covered so much, but I also feel like there's like, I could talk all day with you and still not cover everything. Um, yeah, I could talk about this for hours. Definitely. Yeah. I think we have a good, um, good chunk of stuff we can definitely always like you said um talk more at other times about other things like I could literally talk forever so I know well and I was gonna suggest I was actually gonna say I was gonna stop recording and say this but I'm gonna say it now so I can hold you to it yeah. <laughs> since you said that <laughs> I love that I love but- holding people to things publicly I honestly thrive on that like accountability. I do it on Instagram all the time. I'm like, you know, telling people my life. So that way they're like, wait, weren't you supposed to do somebody did it? This is a total joke, but I was supposed to be wearing a necklace like that. My boyfriend's dad gave me every day until my birthday, which obviously I've given that up, but somebody, somebody keeps like in my DMS every once in a while, where's your necklace? I'm like, yeah, that one I did not hold up, (laughs) but it, but it's true. Like people, people come at you, which is nice. Um, but I was going to say this, as we were talking, I was like, okay, there's so many things I want to ask, but I also like, I want to be conscious of your time. I know I have things I need to get done. So what if we did like, kind of like, I mean, it could be once a month or it could be once every couple months. I don't know, whatever works for you, but we could do like, have you on the podcast and maybe even like once every couple months go live and like continue to talk about these things. So that way we're not like just okay, one and done. Like, I don't want this to be one and done. No, I think that that's a great idea. I'm super down for like once a month, I think it's so doable. Like like you said, we can just sit here and talk for hours and it's (laughs) probably as much as Kella wants me, I'm sure to be done and go hang out with her. Um, I'm sure she's really happy that I have some other outlet to talk about this with and not just say it at her all day. I no, I, you, that's, that's, Mark is probably happy too. Because <laughs> yeah. now yeah, I'm going to see him. And... Down for a monthly, a monthly chat. Yeah. With him. I think it's, I think idea. it's, it's really good. And we can, we can always field questions. So I'll say this now because, you know, 
will probably, I'll probably have some people ask me questions after they listen to this episode. So if they have questions for you, Allie, they can ask either one of us and we can always talk about them on these podcasts. But I feel like this is a good like kind of introduction to how this conversation will continue. Yeah, no, I'm super on board. I love it. Okay. Yay. All right. Awesome. Well, with that, I will, I'm going to stop recording. If you want to stay on for a second, just to chat and wrap up, we can, but, um, I don't know if you, there's anything you want to say as we close out here, Hmm. (laughs) putting you on the spot. Um, no, uh, I will say what I kind of say is like my go-to thing. Like if someone in your life has a disability or, you know, a chronic illness or, or is passionate about anything, like, you know, go learn about it, go learn about it, learn about it from other people you know, support your friends in more ways than just, oh, I'm happy for you. Like, learn about your community and, like, show up for them. Um, especially during COVID, everybody's life is probably, it probably feels to everybody like their life is falling apart. And, you know, I think that we're all overlooking what we can do for our own communities sometimes. I agree. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, this thank might turn into a, yes, no, I so grateful for you, Allie. Allie, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and sharing with us and teaching us and continuing to do so. Your voice is just so amazing. And we will continue to share, friends. Allie is not gone from the podcast. I am bringing her back, I promise. Um, You can find her on Instagram. Her handle is linked in the podcast notes as well as her website where you can reach out to her if you should have any questions or anything like that friends it's the holidays you know so here's your here's your mindfulness uh tip for this week last week i talked a lot about being present the week before continued to talk about being present um find the joy too you know make sure you're focusing on the good moments. The other night, I will just give you a little anecdote here. I got really stressed out because Christmas plans sometimes with, you know, two different families for me does get a little bit stressful. And I had to really focus on, well, what are the good things that are going to come out of a crazy day of going back and forth between mine and Mark's family? And there's going to be so much joy there. There's going to be so much laughter. And I'm so grateful that, you know, we've all kind of, we live close where we are our quarantine bubble, our families. And so that's something right there to find joy. And so just find the joy. Um, I My heart is with you right now when, you know, we have covid and everything kind of keeping families apart i know i've had canceled plans with family members and it it's hard um so my heart is with you i love you and i am sending you a virtual hug wherever you are have a happy i like to say happy christmas um have a happy christmas merry christmas happy holidays and uh i will actually be talking to you in the new year so 